Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is Walkins. Welcome with Bridget Fetessy. I'm Bridget Fetessy, and you are welcome. <laughs> You know the drill. Please subscribe, rate, comment, share, reach out, tell your friends, send smoke signals, whatever. We love your feedback and we want to hear from you. This week on Walk-Ins Welcome, I have another old friend, Brittany Schmidt, comedian and entrepreneur. We met at the comedy store about seven years ago backstage. Brittany and I used to party together, so you'll have some fun stories about the past. And she launched a new company, ho to go H-O-2, number two, G-O. All right. I'm here with Brittany Schmidt, everyone. Hello. Hello. We met at the comedy store, right? Yeah, doing stand-up. Yeah. Was it Vargas' show? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that. I yeah. I'm going to plug it. <laughs> <laughs> Vargas is a, um, there's different, for people who aren't familiar with the comedy world, there's the, there's these shows called bringer shows. And when you're newbie comics, you, it's just a, a good way to get stage time, but you have to get like a certain number of people. Mm-hmm. And the more people you get, the <laughs> longer they make you wait to do your set. <laughs> Yeah, the better you do, the closer to the middle you go and the longer time you get. And by longer time, I mean, you get like an extra 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) not. Yeah. I mean, that was back when I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and thought I was going to conquer the world of comedy. I was like, I'm at the comedy store. You guys watch out. I'm famous. I never had that delusion. Really? I live in it. (laughs) I live in self-delusion. I never had because I never really wanted to do comedy. It wasn't what I ever thought I would do it was something that I thought Robin Williams did mm-hmm. it, it seems so far out of reach and mm-hmm. I'm like 10 years older than you so yeah. even growing up there weren't that many female you know I grew up with like mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy and all these guys who were just it was mostly boys club I just mm-hmm. didn't it didn't seem like something that was even possible yeah so, and I don't know it just ended up um I got dared to do it really yeah <laughs> I like that how did that go down well, it was at the comedy store and it was um one of these bringer shows, but it was um <laughs> Matt Taylor. I don't know who that is. It's uh David Taylor's brother and he used to have a bringer ta- he he used to have a bringer show. They're kind of comedy store guys. Okay. And it was like a shit show. It was every cliche you could ever ever possibly here in the entire it, it was amazing like i i was waiting and waiting and i kept getting bumped and every i was wearing these pleather pants and every comic that got up before me talked about my ass every single one all the dudes and then i finally thought i was going up and then tommy lee came and they're like oh we're gonna let tommy lee do like 35 minutes before you go <laughs> and yeah. i had never done comedy so then i had to follow tommy lee it was so it was horrific it was i don't know i mean it wasn't so bad i've had i've had much worse bombs since mm-hmm. but it wasn't so bad that i didn't hate it mm-hmm. i obviously wanted more i was like i want more yeah but yeah everybody was like doing blow and it was just yeah. so cliche it was just an absolute shit show 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the landscape in comedians has definitely shifted. I feel like it used to be a party sport, and now there's a lot of sober comics. Totally. I feel like the the longevity of the careers of people doing blow is just not there. So I feel like we're kind of lucky to be in this new landscape where there's a lot of people that are seeing the value in sobriety. I think, too, they learned from that older generation of comics that kind of burned out from mm-hmm. just the lifestyle mm-hmm. and the partying. And so, yeah, this next generation, I mean, there's still a lot of it, but it's yeah. definitely not as revered, I guess, or it's yeah. not as cool. Yeah. I do feel like there's tons of uh, sober comics and even the older comics who might have partied or drank are all getting sober yeah. or, or just some never drank at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, too, you go through phases like there's definitely a time to be wild. And like when I met you, oh, my God, we were fucking swamp humans. <laughs> so like, we met when we were both disasters. partying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like I remember one of my I mean, it wasn't a dark time, but it wasn't anything I'm proud of. Like it was literally a beautiful day in Santa Monica. And we went to. <laughs> What's that restaurant on the Third Street Promenade? Beans and Barney. Or oh, Barney's, Barney's Beanery. Beanery. And we those. took like 10 shots of Jameson <laughs> and just got shit faced and ruined our day. I do remember that. Ruined those. our day. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and it wasn't those... that fun. It was just kind of sad. <laughs> the second friend I've had on here, <laughs> Melissa, my friend, just came on to three weeks ago now. And she was like, I met you. And it was like bur- my rock bottom. But we, <laughs> <laughs> but we partied for like, I'm like, we partied for like two years after that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That was your rock bottom. Well, you got sober shortly after I met you. Yeah. And I- I did it. I think I, like, I, I think it was like probably close to my right after that. <laughs> like, yeah. What am I doing with my life? Yeah. God, it was like a gorgeous, but a gorgeous day in LA. It's like it, yeah, diamond dust. Yeah, it's not like we live in the tundra, right? No, but still, it's it does make you feel more guilty. Yeah, when you're when the like, sun is fully and shining and, and you're like bar- crawling out of a <laughs> Barney's beanery and Third Street Promenade and you're like in a blackout. Yeah, like what is my life? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I definitely have vague recollections of that. And then you kept kept going. I got sober and travel. I mean, traveled. Well, well I left and traveled. See, I, no, I didn't. You went up north. But I remember when you're like, I'm going to get sober. We should get sober together. And I thought you were joking. <laughs> I, think I, was, I think no, we you, were blacked out yeah. when, we, when I no, said no. that. We went to Malibu, like Zuma Beach. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we were yeah. on the beach. And you're like, I'm going to get sober. And I was like, okay. And then I think I didn't drink for like three days. And then you never drank again. Oh, yeah. And then we didn't talk much because I was. But I didn't so get sober right after that because I, I got sober like the day I came home from the East Coast. But I must have been like circling the drain. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that summer was pretty gnarly. Yeah. It was quite a bad. It was like I keep thinking I'm like, well, it wasn't that bad. And then, you know, I had Melissa on and she's mm-hmm. like, remember when yeah. I'm like, oh, no, it was pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. You're one, again, like Melissa, you're one of the few friends that's kind of come from the past into the present. Mm -hmm. And did you, when you moved out to LA, did you come to be a comedian? No. Okay. No. So tell us your story. Um, This is all about your story. Yeah. I um, moved out to LA because I had an internship at an agency called Zambezi. I was going to be a copywriter. I was a copywriter. I drove out here in my 2006 Champagne Ford Taurus. (laughs) How old are you? 
I was 22, 21, 22, mm-hmm. right, right. I literally graduated college and five days later, I packed up my car and I drove across the country and I had a suitcase full of clothes <laughs> and uh, a computer and that was it. And I had packed up like all of my other clothes and I had them in wardrobe boxes like ready to ship out. And I told my dad, I'm like, when I get to L.A., ship me those boxes. <laughs> And I kept calling him and I'm like, are you going to ship those boxes? And he's like, it's just an internship. Like, you're going to be home soon. Everyone thinks that when you leave um, for LA. So yeah, he refused to ship me the clothes until I got a full-time job. Mm. So three months smart. after the internship, I got... Yeah, smart. <laughs> three months after the internship, I got brought on full-time. Um, and then less than six months after that, I got a DUI in Arizona. Ugh. And it changed my life. It rocked my world. I mean, talk about a time where I really should have um, been like, okay, maybe we're done drinking now. <laughs> uh, no, I just like dug my heels in harder. I, I got the DUI in Arizona and then I had to go to jail wow. for 30 days. Whoa. Yeah, it where? was crazy. Um, in LA or in yeah, Arizona? In LA. Oh. So I was so lucky that I didn't have to serve it in Tent City because I don't think I would be the person I am today if I had to go to that institution it's so crazy do you know about no yeah it's really gnarly they put girls in like pink jumpsuits in the middle of the desert and there's like four bunks high it's it's like a very very gnarly um institution but it's a way of like scaring people straight right i I think that can go wrong in a number of ways as well um but i served my time at the beverly hills pay to stay Mm. it's like right off rodeo drive oh wow (laughs) it's very shishi uh, but it was really depressing. It was really fucking hard. And it was like, I just moved to LA. I was like, going to make it on my own. I had no yep. fucking money. I got myself in over my head with this DUI. Um, I sold said Ford Taurus mm-hmm. to pay for everything. And and then after that, after I served that time, it was probably like the darkest time in my life mm-hmm. uh, because I was broke. Um, more broke than I was before. I was so lucky that I was able to keep my job. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still so grateful for those employers for like working with me and not giving up on me Mm because I really only had six months, you know, six months of time under my belt of being an employee. So for them to see the value in me and like continue to hold my hand through that was, was really huge. And then after that, it was literally the darkest, darkest time of my life. And I had a um, freelance strategy director named Tamara Catan, who is a comedian Mm -hmm. who's amazing, Mm -hmm. sitting across from me. And we had really great banter. And he ended up giving up his freelance stint at Zambezi because he was going to go to Afghanistan, I think, Mm -hmm. and tell jokes for for the troops. troops. Mm -hmm. And I was just in awe of him and his life. And I was so intrigued by stand-up. I never grew up thinking I was going to be a stand-up comedian. I didn't have a TV in my house. Like I wasn't allowed to watch anything. I didn't have any you know, access or knowledge of the industry, which I think is good because I think I would have been <laughs> overwhelmed with how great everyone else is. Yeah. And I was able to kind of go into it like it was something I was just trying for yeah. the first time. Yeah. And he pretty much called me and called me and called me until I signed up for this class that that he had taken to get into stand up, mm-hmm. which is Jerry Katzman's mm-hmm. class. And that changed my life. You know, it was really, really hard. It's a super intense program and you have to write and you have to like bear your fucking soul yeah um but i came out of it so strong and i i had a set that i was really proud of um that i was so proud of i didn't change it for like four years yeah <laughs> and and that's kind of how i got into comedy and i i was just you know of all the experiences in my life the first time i did stand up was still probably top two yeah maybe yeah. the top um it's how just, many times have you done it then when we met that was maybe like my fourth time. Wow. Mm-hmm. You're so good. And you had the packed house too. Mm-hmm. Like 
And so, yeah, you were the one who told me about Jerry's class, Mm -hmm. which I took Mm -hmm. when I had not even 90 days sober. Right. And looking back on that, (laughs) my my sponsor was definitely like, are you sure you want to do that bridge? I'm like, yeah, I got this. I cried every week. Yeah. I I mean, it was miserable for me. I I would never do that to myself again. Yeah. I mean, because it is so intense. It's so intense. But I was still using. So I had that to fall back. Oh, I I wish I was. Yeah, I was (laughs) still drinking. So I was like, you know, as much as I was, you know, sober for the class and sober for, you know, all the work. But outside of that, I was able to drink. If if things got too tender, too rough, I was able to turn to, you know, whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the the it just is when you have 90 days of sobriety and you've never been sober. I was like, I got this. I've mm-hmm. ha- I have so much time <laughs> looking mm-hmm. at it now. I'm, I can see what a crazy person I was. But at the time, I mean, I knew I was a crazy person then too. But I, I felt like it was an eternity that mm-hmm. I had been sober. So I just thought, you know, this what what's another 90 days going to do or another year? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> after, you know, like the first year or even i i see now the error of my ways right, right. the error i should have listened to the people who had a little more time yeah. than me yeah and they're like maybe don't do that class that makes you dig deep into the pain of your life and turn it into jokes right right <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing is you know there's what is it stand up or comedy is tragedy times time <laughs> tragedy is? plus yeah, yeah tragedy i don't know what it is what is comedy i have no idea um, <laughs> now i don't know yeah, you have to have space and time and i think yeah. you know i was very grateful to have like a loving supporting group to help me kind of dig through my time in jail because i, I made some really great material out of that really mm-hmm. quickly um, and i think if i didn't do it so quick i might have ignored it because now i try and go back and and write about that time that i spent in jail and i can't because it's just like ugh, i don't want to touch that yeah wanna, you know that was five years ago i don't want to I don't want to revisit that ugly ugliness. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. so then, when you started doing it, were you like, "I have to do this"? Yeah. I mean, I mean how do you feel about it now? I I still love it so much. Yeah. I love stand up. Um, there's really nothing like the high of a good show. Yeah, true. That. You know, and I've tried every drug. <laughs> so you and Jesse Smollett. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah what was his drug i love how he's like um i have an ecstasy addiction i'm like ecstasy makes you happy yeah fake hate crimes like (laughs) never have i like rolled on molly and been like you know what would be a good idea if i faked a hate crime against me to get a like touch my hair yeah exactly i'm like like, scratching my mother-in-law's back inappropriately punch me in the face yeah never did that happen on molly right right never have I ever rolled and like <laughs> thought of a hate crime <laughs> not like you know what would be great if yeah. you beat me up right right oh my god I mean I can't even imagine the distortion he's living in but I'll no. pray for him we will pray for him yeah so um, so yeah no I, I still love stand-up I mm-hmm. still have so much love for it it's definitely a hustle and you know I have a lot of other things going on in my life so so you were working you started doing oh, stand-up sorry. you were work. no it's fine I'm just I'm I'm I have a tendency to ramble too. So my cousin Maggie has always ordered me. <laughs> Hi Maggie. <laughs> Hi Maggie to re you know re revisit the threads. Right. So you were you started doing comedy mm-hmm. in 2013? 2012. 2012. Mm-hmm. And then you were still working your day job. Uh-huh. Which at the time was still marketing? Yeah, advertising. Advertising. Mm-hmm. And then you just carried on like that. Mm-hmm. You recently got married. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot's happened in your life. Mm-hmm. So tell I us know, more. Life keeps yeah, I mean, it's a trap. <laughs> when you were saying that was the darkest time of my life, knowing what I know about other things in your life, like there's, there's, you've been through a lot. Yeah. So one of the darkest times. Right. Let's so that <laughs> that's, that's like, yeah. when I, that's what Melissa and I were talking about, like our multiple rock bottoms. Yeah. yeah. Never not at rock bottoms. Bottom. Yeah. <laughs> multiple. Yeah. So you carried on. Uh-huh. Just uh, working, partying. Yeah. When did what changed next after that? I mean, after I started doing stand up, mm-hmm. I did stand up really hardcore for like a year or two. And and I, you know, I was still at this job at Zambezi and I met my future husband there. Mm-hmm. He was married to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to get that bitch out of the way. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't do it. But yeah, so him and his ex-wife started going through a divorce Mm -hmm. and he reached out to me first mostly because i was a recruiter so i was like helping people get other jobs and i think he kind of wanted to leave town and he was just like hey like i can't believe i'm telling you this but me and blank are breaking up and i was like first of all dibs second of (laughs) all oh no i'm so sorry what happened how can i help (laughs) but yeah it was like it was on after that like once he knew he was leaving his ex-wife we started hanging out immediately and i fell in love and it was amazing Mm -hmm. you know it's as good as advertised um yeah and we had the best time and we were still, you know, fully partying and going out and going to dinners and going hiking. And so I kind of just put comedy on hold just for my own life and my yeah. own happiness. I was probably doing like two shows a month, which is not enough. We all know that. Um, but I think people think thought I quit. Uh-huh. Because you were grind. You were on that grind. I was. I was grinding and then I wasn't. Yeah. Um, I disappeared. Same. And so, you know, people thought I quit and that was you know was and has been tough to rebound from yeah because now that you know chris and i have been married for two years i'm super happy and life is super great but you know i still miss the art and and the outlet and so i got back into it and about six months ago we started our own show in venice called venice vandals Mm -hmm. which is just a monthly show but it's just kind of forced me to get back into it and bring people on and reintroduce myself to the community and let people know I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I don't really have any regrets about taking time off to like enjoy my life. You know, I know like true blue comedians go through life and they write about it and they make stand up about every part of it. Yeah. But, like I just didn't, I was in love and I was like, nobody cares about being in love. Like, yeah, it's not funny. Nothing is hilarious, you know? And then the humor kind of starts to unveil itself. Yeah. The longer you're with somebody, it's like, yeah, it's just two fucked up people trying to make something work. And there is a lot of funny things about that. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband's hilarious and, and we have like a great time together, but there's still stuff that fucking sucks. Yeah. And we get on each other's nerves and you know, it's just like any situation. Life is weird like that too. If comedy is such a calling and I feel like I always joke that I, you know, no one be starts comedy in their 30s like right, i did right. <laughs> like at least you're in your 20s but it is such a calling and some of the kids that come out here and grind you know they come out here they want to be comics that's what they're doing it is the the mm-hmm. and for myself it's because i didn't really have the intention that it's always been a bit of a hobby and mm. you can't really it's not a hobby yeah you can't classify it as that because that's what it'll be and it's not really something that can be a hobby. You'll right. never get good at it if it's a hobby. That's mm-hmm. the problem with stand up mm-hmm. is that it'll as if it's a hobby, you'll just be doing the same thing forever. Right. So 
it's just interesting to see. I think though you have to take breaks, right? And recharge the batteries. Yeah, and if Mm. love happens, love happens. Yeah, it's not gonna one year because that's the other thing that you realize pretty quickly is it is a marathon, right? So well, and I think too with me, like my first set, like the material I was running was so anti-love i'm never getting married like i'm a slut rah 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 (laughs) and i had such a blast doing it but then there was this time where i felt like a fraud because i was still doing that material because i didn't write new stuff and then like my boyfriend was in the audience (laughs) who i intended to marry and i was just like dragging marriage and and i just felt a little inauthentic yeah and i wasn't ready to do the work and you know write new material but i did i did i finally wrote a new set last year and i'm like oh Whew, thank God. Now yeah. I have something, something new, something fresh, something that doesn't feel stale or inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. I remember when I saw you on a show and you, I think you were taping your old stuff, but you had said to me, like my husband's in the audience. Oh, I'm doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing like this set about that I used to do and it feels, and then you started doing all new stuff and your new stuff is amazing. I love thank your you. new stuff. Um, but that is the weird nature of comedy, right? Mm-hmm. It just is like, I don't I don't know how people I get so bored doing the same thing over and over right. again. And that's also part of what makes a great comedian great. But right. also it does have to like jibe. I feel like whatever I'm joking about is like predicting my future. It's a weird a weird it's almost like a defense mechanism because comedy is such a defense me- mechanism for me. So mm-hmm. One of the newer bits I've been doing is about how I've tried everything else. And now I'm like, I've tried drugs. I've tried men. And I'm like, and now I'm trying to find out if millions are going to fill that void in my soul. Right. right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm that's oh. a joke, but it's true. Yeah. I'm definitely like, I need money. That's going to that's going to make me feel yeah. better. Isn't it crazy, though? Nothing. Money doesn't make you feel no. better. It's such an inside job. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think everyone thinks that money and things and like or the love, love or of baby. strangers yeah. or whatever, you know, that's like, that's the crazy thing about comedy is like, yes, it's amazing to make a room full of people laugh, but it's a little fucking insane to want the whole world to be obsessed with you. <laughs> and just like, the loneliness of it. You're right. like, the whole place is laughing at you and then you go back to a hotel room right. and you're alone. Just yeah. like, it's dark. Yeah. I think there is a darkness. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about, you know, the grind of comedy too. It's like what makes a successful comedian. A lot of times you do have to go on the road mm-hmm. and like while I've never like kind of gone after that I'm like I don't know if I could do it like I don't know mm-hmm. if that that might really bum me out to like be <laughs> yeah on the road in a hotel by myself like unless I'm staying in the Ritz and have like the people I love around me <laughs> I'm not sure I'm interested I've always said that I anyway, love book me on the road yeah, book me on the road <laughs> yeah. Brittany still wants to go on the road yeah <laughs> I I've always said that I'm not sure um and that's what I mean by I love the medium. I'm not sure that I have what it takes in terms of loving the lifestyle. Yeah, it's, I'm such a maybe, like. I mean, maybe late, there's a way to love it. But I, like, I want to start early know. bird shows. I'm that. I'm like. Oh my I'm god. Starting me too. I'm in early bird shows. I am in bed at <laughs> 8 p.m. every night if possible. <laughs> like Chris and I make dinner morning. and I'm like, give him the eyes. Like, you want to get in bed? Yeah. And he's just like, it's 7:54. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm exhausted. I get up at five to six o'clock. So to be, I would have to take a nap to go to bed. 
to like go do comedy right, and right. grind, yeah. I would have to at some point during the day take a nap to make that happen. Yeah. And by nine o'clock, I'm like, I don't leave Toast. my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so cozy. And now it's like cold and rainy. And there's in a LA. fireplace. Like, why would I ever leave no. my home? That's what I mean about the lifestyle. I just never. And I, I don't necessarily want to be around that many people. Yeah. It's been a problem. Yeah, you have to I was grinding too, and then I was like, I don't know. It might be one of those things where it just isn't the light. I I I, I like being able to sit at home and write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do miss it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I that's miss grinding. It's 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 a it's a junkie. It's so rewarding. It's a fix. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, now I'm curious too. So my new curiosity is, <laughs> can I do this from my home? Like, can can I get? Can I get like a Streaming YouTube channel? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but then you would have a mental breakdown because you wouldn't be able to hear the laughs. And you'd be like, I'm not funny and everyone hates me. <laughs> and then you would just melt down. Probably. Yeah. But that would have that that happened to me on stage once anyway. Once. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely once at the comedy store. I mean, it was so bad. Just I'm cold and afraid. That was what I said. I yeah. got so drunk. It's the drunkest I've ever yeah. been doing stand up. Yeah, I had the worst bomb of my life in Vegas. Um, I went into shock. <laughs> it was. I didn't get on stage for like two months after that bomb. I'm cold and afraid. I had a back to back show, a 730 at the foundation room and then uh, 10 o'clock at South End or South Point, whatever that place. The dirty. Is. Yeah, that dirty, nasty one mm-hmm. off the strip. The dirt. Is it the dirty? Yes. At 1030 yes, or whatever, yes. 1230 yes. or something. It's late. Yeah. Um, and so I bombed my face off at like the dirty one. No, no, no. At the seven thirty show. Oh. So I, first of all, I was like, I'm gonna kill. Like the guy that went up before me was like, meh. He was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, and I was little did I know that the room wasn't very warm and it really didn't have much to do with the guy. And I went up and I made a rookie mistake of trying new material first. Mm-hmm. And I, I just ate shit. Like it was the most shit I've ever <laughs> eaten in my entire life. Uh-huh. And like there was a point like three minutes into my set. I was supposed to do 15 minutes. Three minutes into my set, the room was so silent that a guy went on his iPhone and pulled cricket noises. Oh, God. And started playing cricket noises. No. And everyone then started cheering for that guy. Oh, God. And they lit me at like five minutes. Oh. They pulled me off the stage. And... And they didn't pay me for the show. Oh. They were like, that was terrible. Whatever the fuck. And the guy who had brought me to Vegas was like, what the fuck was that? Like, that's not your normal set. And I was like, oh, oh no. Like, I made such a mistake. And then I, um, oh, this is giving me PTSD. Yeah. I mean, I still have it. Like, I, <laughs> and then to have to go do another show oh and act God. like that didn't well, just the second happen. one go? It was fine. Uh huh. But you're shook. I was so shook. Uh-huh. Like I tried to. So I had a bunch of friends come to the second show and they were like, that was amazing. They gave me bullet because they saw me fucking eat shit at the last show. I'm surprised they even put me up. And I had friends come. And then afterwards they were like, you were great. Like what's your bullet I'm like, for you- those people who don't know it is first up. Yeah. And they're like, you were great. Why are you so upset? And I was like shaking. Like I was like, tr- <laughs> like 
sweating shaking like drinking whiskey neat but like not neat just like a cup of whiskey like like just i was just so upset and then i went back to my hotel room which was at south point or whatever that place is called and i just (laughs) took a bath in like that nasty shitty bath and i was just like this can't be my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, what am I doing? Worst night of my life. Oh. Um, but it's so funny. It's such a fickle lover, you know, like it's oh. either the best or the worst thing. And that was, that was terrible. I, can I tell my story oh my of bombing? God, please. I was at the comedy store. It was another Matt Taylor bringer show and something had happened. So I was having, and I was a mistress of this guy at the time, mm-hmm. not proud of it, but it happened and and he had decided to come to the show with like 12 of his friends oh boy and the guy had tried to the guy who was running the show something had happened like he wanted to like oh he was like wanted to get my friend's number and she wouldn't give it to him and then he got mad at me and was said he was gonna take me off the show and then it was like messed up, but kind of not that weird for bookers in L.A. They're mm-hmm. all not all, but many of them are like that, do that weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the guy I was I, it, I and he ended up making me go. I kept drinking. I was so nervous because it was the guy that mm-hmm. I was in love with. By the way, that's so weird. Why would he bring all of his friends? Is that his way of saying like, hey, I'm not faithful? <laughs> like, how did he say he knew you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't I don't anyway. even think I was drinking. I must have had 12 Jack and Cokes by because he kept oh, making yeah. me wait because I had the most people in the audience right. and I kept drinking and drinking mm-hmm. and I got up and I just stood there blanked completely. My brain just went <gasps> completely blank and I just stared out at the audience and I was like, I'm cold and afraid. <laughs> no. And Oh, yeah. I said those words. Do you Did remember? Did that get a laugh? <laughs> I mean, like a sad laugh. I still want to use that line. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hilarious <sighs> and it's so raw and true. So I think at least someone would give you kudos for being honest because I feel like that's what everyone thinks. Oh my God, it was so painful. I, do you remember Gary Garfinkel? Did you ever meet no. him? Rest no, in peace. I'm also terrible with names. Oh, so. Gary worked at Showtime and he was a huge supporter of comedians and he was best friends with Polly Shore, whose mm. mother owns the comedy store for those rest of you uh, rest in peace to her as well for those of you who don't know kind of the the scene and so he's best friends with Polly and um he got a brain tumor and died but he was at that show and he was like wow Bridget that is like he saw me after and I was crying I ba- they basically music to me same thing yeah. I was like four minutes in I was supposed to do 10 minutes Th- so you the- got past I'm cold and afraid I don't know I don't remember anything yeah, I was like out. blacked out yeah. yeah I think I started stumbling over words yeah. and um I thought that I was maybe doing jokes <laughs> and then the music started playing and I just was mortified trauma. oh trauma trauma yeah and i was backstage crying and gary said bridget it is not the people who get up after they do well that make it it is the people who get up Mm -hmm. after a set like that and i did not get up for like two months right you're like i am not fit for this no (laughs) no it was it was it was i still feel the i still feel it (laughs) just all of it shame embarrassment it's so bad it's so tender and it's it's like yesterday and my my bomb was five years ago and I've not done well since then, but I haven't bombed like that. Like that was like a true blue 
bomb. Oh, yeah. I know I'll do it again, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there will come a day. I never, it's almost like I never ever want to let myself think that can happen to me again. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> because that's exactly the condition that led to it happening. Exactly. Every it was, time you think you're going to kill, you do not. No. Every time. Every time I've been like, I've got this in the bag. I fucking eat shit. That was a show I did at this weird haunted like uh, uh, monster place or whatever. It was like we'll the stop right there. You shouldn't be doing <laughs> shows there. So no, like it was a, a cool children's. show. And like um, Kate Quigley was the headliner and it was kind of blue. And so I thought the audience, they were kind of crazy. And I thought the audience, I was like, yeah, these people get me. And I just ate it. I mean, it was, I, I guess everyone's like, it wasn't bad. But I'm like, no, I know. Yeah. You know. You know. And if you don't, you're delusional. It wasn't. Yeah. That's I, the other I mean, weird that's, thing. There's, there's comics who are. Oh, I know. I've. Horrible. I've and they just keep going. Well, or the like you bomb and get off and they're like, I think I did pretty well. And you're like, really? <laughs> how, yeah. do you, how do you think that? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm I've, obviously no master of comedy here, but I at least have the gut or the wherewithal to be like. Oh, I know. And I suck. Well. Yeah. Oh, ate a bag of dicks. There was the, I I mean, so many times that I can remember, but that one in particular was like the trauma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as like newer comedians, we all have our, well, not newer now, but like at the time, we all have our one definitive bomb <laughs> that's like, maybe I'm terrible <laughs> and I should <laughs> never do this again. And even if I'm not terrible, I never want to risk doing right, that again. Right. It seems so masochistic mm -hmm. to try and do, to get on stage and do that. Yeah. And, but I mean, I think that's the true beauty of like the, the pro comics who have been doing it for so long and they don't care if they bomb. No, they're like, this is just part of the process and they keep fucking going. And I'm like, God, I can't wait to get there. Yeah. I can't wait to not care if I do well or not. Cause like, that's what it is. You just keep going. Yeah. It's just a muscle. You got to keep strengthening it. I mean, um, it's like Jeff Garland always says that he's like, get up there and bomb. Cause no one cares about you. They're here to see me. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but he, whenever, have you ever, see, ever seen one of his sets? There will be a lull and he's like, see, now most comedians would be uncomfortable with this. Mm -hmm. I am not. And he'll just lean into the quiet and the mm -hmm. not laughter and the, un the awkwardness. Yeah. And then he's like, and now, we'll, and then they'll go up. You know, he's so comfortable with the the flow of comedy, but mm -hmm. he's a pro. He's been yeah, doing it forever. Uh, yeah, exactly. And All like, you're time. Jeff Garland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. Oh, comedy. I let I don't know. I'm I'm not sure about the a part of me wants to like move to Vegas or the Midwest and or Chicago or somewhere like that where I feel like the comedy scene is more Midwestern and I don't know why. I'm I I'm not sure what that's about. I'm not sure if it's just wanting to get a more normal audience. Mm. I don't know if you're going to get that in Vegas. Yeah, that's true. They're pretty normal, though. When I did that late night show there, they were pretty normal. I mean, they're from all over the country. Right. So I think I just maybe more more diverse, like mm. ideologically diverse. Even out in Valencia, I did some shows out there and it was great. 
It was yeah. like they're very yeah. Mixed. I mean, I think LA definitely has the hardest audiences in the country because they want to see celebrities every time they go somewhere. You know, they're yeah. like, oh, you're not famous. I don't. You know, even if you are funny, I don't really care. But there are some really great crowds here too. You yeah, know? like it really is kind of what Venice. you make of it. I yeah. think Venice has good crowds. Yeah, we've got a grungy. We've yeah, got a yeah. grungy crew, and everyone's <laughs> just like happy to be there. Yeah, you know, and it like our show's special because it's on the west side. Yeah, and it's you know people in Venice don't like leaving don't like going east of the 405 no. so like the comedy store is like maybe once a year but like our show it's like people come and they want to fucking have a good time and everyone's yep. drinking and it's you know not so snotty but i think definitely when you go into hollywood they want to see the famous people and that's fair because like, totally. we go out we you know what i mean like when i still go out as a comedian and watch other comics like i want to see someone good. yeah you're like i'm at the comedy store where's right. chappelle right <laughs> right but um so are you still are you back into grinding no, I mean, I'm definitely back in. I'm back yeah. into like reaching out to bookers and getting up and going up and all of that. But I'm not, I don't know if I'll be at the level of grind I was before. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I probably shouldn't say that out in the world, but, um, <laughs> you know, but no, I'm, I'm doing it because I love doing it and I have new material that I'm really proud of yeah. and um, it's just fun. And you recently got sober. I did. Yeah, I did. I got I tricked myself into thinking I was sober because I quit drinking a year and three mm. months ago. Wow, it's already been that long. Yeah. Holy crap. But I didn't stop doing other stuff. I know. Um, I, I was like smoking I weed. Yeah, I was like smoking weed. I remember I ran into you and I was like, I'm like sober. And you're like, do you quit smoking pot? Like immediately called me. And I was like, no, relax. And you're like, you're not sober. And I was like, good to see you. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it went. But that's exactly how no, it went. I have trauma. Not. If you want to revisit trauma, that was it. I think I just laughed. Yeah. I was like, you're not sober. Right. Exactly. <laughs> What's the difference? Um, so I, anyway, I, had I was to, like, so proud of you for not drinking. Thanks. Yeah, it's more that I laugh whenever anyone says that because I know that so well because I did that. Yeah, I like quit drinking. I was like, I'm sober. Yeah, and then <laughs> and I was then just I, like, getting so stoned all the time. I was like, okay, I don't think this counts as sobriety. Like I'm mixing up my words because I'm so stoned. Yeah, and then I like started doing. I um, this is another funny thing I haven't like even admitted to anyone. I don't think. Have you ever heard of Kratom? Mm -mm. It's like a plant-based, basically opioid. Mm. And it's delightful. <laughs> but it was making me puke a lot. Oh, so it was yeah. like, I was tricking myself into thinking like, oh, it's plant-based. This is just like weed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I was like taking these. It's basically like an over-the-counter pill wow. that you get at like a head shop. Mm. And I was taking them. And it's, you know, talk about like chasing the dragon. Like the first time I got... I took those. I was like, this is the best feeling uh -huh. in the world. <laughs> and then after that, um, I kept trying to like get back to that point. And, um, and, and then I was like overdosing on Kratom and like, throwing up in public. And I was like, oh my God, I like had to take a m moment and be like, you are not sober. Like yeah, what yeah. the fuck is going on with your life? So yeah, I stopped doing everything six and a half months ago. Wow. So I've been sober for six and a half months. And did anything kind of precipitate that or was it just like your time? It was my time. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like if I quit drinking, which was really the problem. Mm -hmm. And then I like started doing other stuff that I wasn't really that even even that interested in doing. Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't I just get sober and deal with the shit I need to deal with instead of, you know, doing yeah. what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, and and it's like a it was really just like a productivity thing. I'm yeah. Like, I'm wasting my fucking life. Yeah. Um, I'm like constantly, you know, for so long I was like drink drinking drunk 
hungover and it was cyclical and then I was just stoned all the time, which is like, yeah, I can get shit done, but not really Mm -hmm. like not to the level that I knew I was capable of. And then when I really quit, that's like, I just like lit a fire under my own ass. Like I launched my brand. I've like done so much in the last six months that I can't, I can't really imagine going back to any of that stuff. What is the biggest of all the things you've had to overcome? What's the biggest thing that you challenge you've overcome? In my life or in sobriety? Either. I really think getting sober was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Yeah. Because it's like, I didn't realize I had a problem because I was just like, oh, I'm just fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then... We were fun, though. We were fun. Um, Yeah, that's another thing. Like, getting sober, it's like, you know, Chris and I used to have parties all the time. Mm -hmm. I was, like, so social. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I realized, like, I don't even like people. I just (laughs) didn't like drinking alone. Yeah. Um, I just liked witnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's like, you know, I haven't had a party since I've gotten sober. There's no no reason for me to. Um, But, yeah, it was getting sober was hard for a lot of reasons. A, you're, like, completely rewiring yourself Mm -hmm. um, from the inside out. And then, B like figuring out how to navigate the social scene without alcohol and yeah. drugs is so hard because it's like I'm not really outgoing you know and I kind of had this like personality that was like pretty outgoing before but really I was just drunk yeah um, <laughs> um so like kind of just refiguring it all out and like you know I used to go to happy hour all the time and hang out you know I would want to go get wine and go do this and go do that and then like I just had to take like a solid two months to myself and I was so depressed mm-hmm. and I was so bummed out mm-hmm. and I had to feel all the feelings and that's really ugly and terrible and it doesn't stop being ugly mm-hmm. and terrible. It's just like you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable yep. and like all of that stuff. And um, it was awful, but it was also the most rewarding thing I've ever done because like I've seen... I've just seen how much I've accomplished mm-hmm. in the last six months and I'm like so excited about what I what I can still do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like I had this brand, How to Go, mm-hmm. which I have literally been talking about in bars <laughs> to people for 10 years. Well, this is one of these ideas when I called my sister to tell her, I was like, my, I was like, my friend made the thing that we were talking about in our 20s that we wish they had because mm-hmm. I feel like so many women have been like, I wish that we had this yeah, thing. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know, how to go is um, it's a new brand. It's my brand. It is an essentials kit to save girls from the walk of shame. <laughs> so like every morning when you wake up fucked out and like totally disheveled and you wish you didn't have to walk home in your heels um, and party dress from the night before. Talk about shame. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst part of it. It's like there should be no shame in being sexually active. Like yeah. it's great. But the things you go in out at night in, you can't wear at seven o'clock in the morning without <laughs> getting serious side eye. And I love the expression that you, your slogan, because when you go big, you don't always go home or something. What is oh, it? Yeah. Um, for when you go hard and don't go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like everyone, I feel like we have this magical time in like our, you know, early 20s where we get to be like sexually really free. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was, you know, 
probably like it's so fun Mm -hmm. but there is this aspect of shame attached to women who exercise the same power that men are exercising and they just get shamed for it and it's bullshit so this is like it's a kit that has everything to kind of save you from that shame in the morning so it's like flip-flops leggings t-shirts sunglasses hair tie advil toothbrush and toothpaste makeup wipe deodorant wipe little velour pouch for your jewelry and a tote for your heels it's amazing. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just everything. You can keep it in the trunk of your car. You know, eventually we want to figure out a way to get it to people like in times of need. Like if we could partner <laughs> with like Uber or Lyft yeah, or something, yeah. that would be amazing. We have a lot of ideas for it. We're really excited about it, but I'm so excited that it even got off the ground. It just launched yeah. on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it just launched last week. Um, So it's, it's a really exciting time. It's like a lot of unknown, but it was a process to get it to where it's at. And like, you know, kind of a big thing to take on in my first six months of sobriety um but i was like i have all this time i'm not wasting it yeah so and um, money yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i mean you have money that you're not wasting on drinking and partying right i'm not spending hundreds of dollars a week on bar tabs um yeah so no it's it's definitely like super exciting and and i'm excited to see where it goes but um yeah i kind of really strayed away from your question about what the hardest that's probably the biggest challenge yeah it was just getting sober and it was you know dealing with all the things i hid for so long how do you overcome the internal resistance like what what how, what tricks do you use to, internal resistance to what to not wanting to go to a meeting mm-hmm. to not wanting to do anything to not you know, we'll, a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast is resilience mm-hmm. and grit and mm-hmm. what makes a person what, you know, getting out of like victim mentality, getting out of getting out of your own way, essentially. Yeah. Listen, I love to occasionally do nothing like mm-hmm. when I'm feeling bad and I know that if I go to a meeting or if I go to the gym or if I do whatever is going to make me feel better, like I have that knowledge, but sometimes <laughs> I like to just be bummed out Mm -hmm. and I just sit in it. And then when I get sick of myself, I will finally get back into the routine. I don't do that longer than like a day or two. But sometimes I'm just like, I deserve this moment to like sit in sadness or defeat Mm -hmm. or whatever it is you're feeling. I think a lot of times as a society, we don't allow ourselves that freedom to feel the bad stuff because we're told we're not supposed to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, even if everything on paper is amazing, sometimes you just don't feel good and that's fine. And I think, you know, sometimes I'll like go to the spa or just do something to like indulge and then I'll get back on the horse because I know like yesterday. Okay. So I was avoiding the gym all week just because I was just like kind of in a funk. Yeah. And I didn't want to go to the gym and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go. So I went and like the guy at the front desk was like, you're glowing. Aww. And I was like, I started crying because I was just pregnant. No, I have an IUD. But I was just like, oh my God, you know, and it's like, he probably says that to everyone. Yeah. Like he's at the front desk of Equinox. Like I'm sure that's like in the script. (laughs) But but I think the reality is like, even if it's annoying or hard to get out of the house, doing it is usually beneficial. Yeah. Like there's few times that I regret getting out and putting myself out there. Um, and I'm like, oh, that was terrible. That was yeah. a terrible mistake. You know, like going to the gym and doing that kind of stuff. It's like it, it works. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to give in to what works. And and I think, you know, the only way you build grit and resilience is to kind of feel those icky feelings and be OK with it and then move on and get stronger. The people that are strong aren't always strong. Yeah. You know, people that are tough, like, yes, we've all had hardships and hopefully grown from them. But like 
they sit in sadness too. Yeah. Everyone does. And I think it's like good to know that you can do that for a little while and then keep it fucking moving. Yeah. My therapist says um, to like give yourself a time. Yeah. So she'll, uh, she's like, okay, you can feel this way for, you know, X amount of hours or whatever. Like I'm going to let, I'm going to close the blinds and I'm going to let myself feel self pity or shame or embarrassment or whatever the uncomfortable feelings are for half of a day. And then that's it. And mm-hmm. that's been helpful to me is like mm-hmm. putting a time on it because <laughs> otherwise it's like three oh days yeah. later. Yeah. 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 Bridget's watched every season of yeah, but sometimes The Man so in the High nice. Castle. Sometimes it's <laughs> so nice. I mean, yeah. I, I think of it too like, so I used to be hungover all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I used to do that kind of like hungover yep. all the fucking time. So yeah. I'm like, I have to give myself some credit. Like yeah. I'm not feeling bad because I did this to myself. I'm feeling bad because i'm feeling bad yeah i i can use that time however i want to but yeah you definitely have to pull yourself out of it because it's like if you have like crusty sweatpants on that's not hot that's not and it's i used to say when we were like sometimes your hangovers choose you Mm -hmm. and it was oh because i didn't rest i just went so hard Mm -hmm. and if i wasn't hung over i don't think i ever would have really stopped so it was the kind of the only way that i would like take a day off and rest Mm -hmm. and take a break yeah or those were those moments when I would, re- those really bad hangovers when I was like, oh, I guess I really needed rest yeah. <laughs> too. My yeah. body would just shut down. Yeah. And now I find getting out of the, like I'll beat myself up for like the Netflix binge, mm-hmm. but then I, it's, I, you're right. It is something I have to just give myself, a, cut yeah. myself a little bit of slack for. Yeah, you need downtime. Like you hustle really hard. It's and- always like, I just feel like probably because I'm always in my head. Right. But yeah, I think you just can't feel guilty about that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I've always kind of maintained a balance. Like even if I work myself really hard, I then, you know, have something to balance it out Mm. because otherwise you drive yourself crazy if you're just on all the time. And I think that's how you get cancer. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like stressing yourself out. But we've figured it out. And so... At the end of every kind of podcast, I ask people, what, what's your biggest character defect that you have to constantly work against right now? I mean, it doesn't have to be like in your life. Mm. Yeah, I want people to like me. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate that. I hate that I want everyone's approval because it doesn't matter. I think in the grand scheme of things, there's a few things at play. One is everyone is just only paying attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to do a lot for people to pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. And then for them to like care, it's probably not going to happen. So the fact that I even think about what other people are thinking about me is annoying. Yeah. It's just a huge waste of time. So that's just something that I've kind of had to get beyond character defect i'm also a little bit of a procrastinator yeah everybody if i don't have a deadline that's why i think it's like such a miracle i actually launched this brand amazing (laughs) because if i don't have a deadline i won't really get shit done uh yeah Um, so i need (laughs) yeah i need structure and um you know i wish i was a person who was like a self-starter and so motivated but i'm not and um and yeah so that's kind of a hurdle but what's your favorite joke you're telling right now 
Well, I mean, my all-time favorite is probably my Titanic joke, which <laughs> is the reason the Titanic is the best love story of all time is because they met, they fucked for three days, and then Jack died. <laughs> um, sign me up for that cruise. But a new one that I'm really liking is actually um, talking about drinking. And I say, when I was 15... I gave up drinking for Lent, uh, but that was too hard. So I gave up Catholicism instead. <laughs> and my priest wasn't sad to see me go because I wasn't his type. <laughs> so I love your jokes. Yeah, I mean, that one's dark. A lot of times it'll get a ooh, but I love that. I love yeah. I like your new stuff, though. It's kind of dark. Yeah, I'm kind of dark. That's the thing. It's like I think I put a little bit of airs on um, in my first set and now it's kind of coming off because a lot has happened to me and I'm just like, this is who the fuck I am. Yeah. And I'm having fun with it because it's, you know, I like making people a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite parts of being a comic. I've noticed. I think I'm not like I I don't really care about the chuckles. I kind of like making it awkward. Yeah. I've realized that over time. Like, oh, yeah, I like it when people squirm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as long as at some point you get a laugh. Yeah. (laughs) And you're not just making them uncomfortable the whole time. I like that. Yeah. What's your strongest asset? Mm, I'm really loyal. I am mm-hmm. very loyal. Uh, and it's annoying, honestly, because I wish I could cut people off easier. But I'm I'm a really loyal friend. I'm obviously really loyal to my husband. And when I put my mind to something, it's getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't give up that easily. So I think like with my attention and my time, I'm pretty precious. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty choosy about what I give it to because I'm all in when I'm in. And I think that's an asset because I think, you know, I am the friend that I wish that I want to have. Yeah. I am the spouse that I want to have. Mm-hmm. And I think when you give people what you want, you get it back. And yeah. then if you don't, bye. <laughs> bye. bye. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love having my friends that I used to party with on here so much because it makes me see just how much you can change yeah. about yourself and how you can, I, we were talking about this yesterday on the phone, how when I was drinking and smoking weed, I kind of knew it was like that I always knew where I'd end up. Mm-hmm. And in sobriety, I'm like, I have no idea, yeah. no, no clue what yeah. I there was like this ceiling I would always hit and it was a cycle. It was that I was in an alcoholic cycle constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's a disease disguised as fun. Yeah. And it's, you know, like it's not fun. Right. (laughs) I mean, and it's like uh, I was, you know, I'm 100 percent different from the person I was five years ago. Mm -hmm. Like I was never getting married. I was (laughs) like always going to drink. I was never going to go to yoga. Like (laughs) I was like L.A. is full of fucking whack jobs. And now I'm like burning sage in my apartment. (laughs) Like (laughs) married, married. And, you know, I have this life that's like really nice and just not filled with the things it used to be filled with. And I don't think, by the way, any of that was a waste of time. I think it all taught me something and I had a lot of fun. I really really did. But it was just like the jig is up. Like it's not cute anymore and I have other things I want to do with my life. Yeah. So that's that's mostly, it is too when I first, I think for me it was, I knew I had to quit but it wasn't enough to just be like, I can't do something. I needed there to be a higher reason to quit. It couldn't just be about not doing something. Right. So just like I do like the focus on service and uh-huh. being being of service to the world, kind of waking up 
even the meditation today on calm was all about waking. Oh, I, I know mm-hmm. they sponsor us. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love them. And um, the meditation today was all about, you know, waking up and asking the question, what can I give instead mm-hmm. of what can I get? Yeah. And it is amazing how just that small little tweak yeah. will make every day so different. Yeah. Just waking up and with that perspective mm-hmm. and like the gratitude list and ending mm-hmm. and book bookmarking your day with gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because ha- we have so much. Yeah, so That's much. That's the thing. It's so, so crazy. Much. It's so crazy to ever feel like we need more. And I don't know why society like pounds that into our brains. But like I like look around. I was actually just talking to my husband about this the other day. I'm like, God, if you would have told me five years ago that this was going to be my life, I wouldn't have believed you because it's too good. Yeah. And the fact that I ever wake up and I have days that I'm sad or I feel like I don't have enough or I need more or, you know, all those feelings that are totally human and normal. I just you have to take a step back and look at your life from the outside in because we have so much to be grateful for. Yeah. Did you feel like when when you say to your husband that you never would have thought because it's so good, is it because you didn't think you deserved it? Or why do you think it? I think deep down, you know, I I never thought I would get married because I thought it was going to be way too hard. You know, mm. my parents got divorced. It was a really ugly divorce. Um, my mom was fucking crazy. And, and I just didn't want any parts of it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want any parts of that. And I thought that was a trap and I would be unhappy if I got married. I met my husband and we were already really good friends and he's so amazing. Like yeah. he's such an amazing partner 99.9% yeah. of the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I just didn't think it existed if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And I did a pretty good sample test. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really kissed a lot of toads. Um, <laughs> and so I just didn't think it existed. And I was like, there's no way. And then, you know, the life that we've built with each other, because, uh, you know, we didn't have anything. And yeah. we've built a really nice life together. And like, we have this really adorable puppy. And like, he helped me make my, you know, he's such a talented creative director. He helped make my brand awesome. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought I'd get the brand off the ground. I don't think I ever thought I would be married. I don't think I ever, I actually don't even think I knew this kind of happiness existed. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so grateful that it's kind of just un- unraveled the way it has um, because I wouldn't have sought this out for myself. Yeah. Like the life I have, I wasn't looking for. I kind of fell into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was going to say like, what I wanted my life to be. I, you know, my sights were set on being like the next Chelsea Handler. Right, and like right. Single and partying and just like having a fucking boss bitch life, but mm-hmm. like alone, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm so grateful for the support I have. I, d- I don't think I'd be able to be sober single because I don't know. I think I just would have kept drinking and hooking yeah. up with people, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think everything I have, like, I'm I'm so grateful that there's someone that had a better plan than I had for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just have to kind of continue to stay in the gratitude because if I don't, it's really a, a vacuum of self-pity and doubt and all, yeah. these, all these weird things that you wouldn't think exist, but they definitely, I think all of us have it and it's human, but it is taking a step back is always good. And those lists help. I was reading something about how the moreness is 
we're wired that way essentially mm-hmm. to always never be satiated mm-hmm. because if we were, we would still be sitting in a cave like stoked right. about fire. Right, right. <laughs> like this is amazing. Yeah. We're done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Our job's here we done. made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is that aspect of humanity that seeks to strive beyond what they have. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we live in a capitalist society that also fuels that. We have technology and social media that mm-hmm. prey on that mm-hmm. instinct. Yeah. Um, the yeah. instinct to have that the grass is always greener. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is more on Instagram and yeah. Facebook. With Twitter, it feels more, it's almost like schadenfreude, I feel like. It's yeah. more the instinct to to like mob and yeah. laugh at people. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I'm very torn about social media. I don't think I like it and I can't wait to get off of it. Like one of the most freeing things I ever did was get off Facebook. Yeah. I'm still on Instagram and I can't wait to get like all of it. Like I know it's part of our industry and it's part of, I mean, it's your life. It's my life. But I can't wait to be like 40 or 45 and just get rid of all that. Maybe they'll be gone by then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? But like, I just can't wait to like be off of it and be free from it and like yeah. live in a tree fort. That was one of my earliest jokes on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, I want to just get famous enough that I don't need Twitter. I think I think everyone feels that way. And then but then it, I look and it's like Bezos is on there and he's a billionaire. You know, but like, he's also sending like shrivelly dick pics to people. <laughs> so I don't think he's who we need to look up to right now. No, but I mean, I in my mind, I was always like, it, when I'm a billionaire, I won't mm-hmm. need. But Twitter. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I look at, I actually noticed the other day, I looked at Beyonce's profile and she has like, you know, 150 million followers and she <laughs> follows no one. I know. And I'm like, that is goals as fuck. But actually, no, the real goal is to just be Jay Z, who's like not on Twitter at all. He's like, I get in enough trouble yeah. <laughs> without that shit. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I, I can't wait to be um, free from it. It feels a little bit like a trap. Yeah. I feel I love Twitter and I have I I love that oh, place. I know. <laughs> I know, you know, when I'm not <laughs> when it's you when I'm not causing costed. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so f- f- fulfilling. I can take responsibility for most of my uh, pile ons, I would say. Yeah. I'm putting myself out there and yeah. I do know that I'm saying things that are feisty at times so it's not and sometimes i tweet before i have my coffee and then yeah. next thing i know i'm a, a grand wizard like i it happens and i luckily have nothing to lose if i had something to lose it would be more problematic but i don't really so it for me when it's not fun is when i'm like okay you need to step away mm-hmm. if it should be fun and I've met so many cool people and some of my best. I was joking um, last night. All of my friends are from Twitter mm. and it's such a good way to connect to people. And because I feel like it's so honest, that platform in particular, you can get to know somebody pretty quickly. And mm. so I have I could write a love letter. But on the other hand, I was walking my dog, texting my cousin Maggie and saying, I need to give you my two factor authentication number so that when I try and log in, (laughs) you get the code and I can't have it. (laughs) And she's like, wow, (laughs) someone has a problem. You know, (laughs) like I seriously like, let me see if I can do this on my own. But she's like, "Okay, Bridget. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it is. It works like a drug, too, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel that. 
Yeah, I get it. I mean, I it's it's funny though because it's like when is enough ever enough? Like no, I, yeah, it's never no, enough. I don't think so because it's like you know you go from this low level like however many likes you no, get it and then matter. it keeps climbing and it keeps climbing and then it goes back a little bit and you're like wait what did I do wrong like you know it's just like such a psychological mind fuck <laughs> that I'm like so not interested and like you know I'm I was talking to a. Uh, Zach about this the other day because you know he gets six thousand Zach likes. Noe Towers yeah Zach Noe Towers he gets like six thousand likes on a picture and <laughs> and and then um you know I'm like he'll get like a little thrown if someone doesn't like you know if there's only five thousand likes or whatever it is but I'm like do you think Kim Kardashian uploads shit and then is like I only got two million likes like I'm trash you know like when Kylie's getting five million or whatever I just think it's just it keeps going and it never stops yeah more. Mm-hmm. the moreness the moreness and it's true it is and and i do laugh when i see on social media a lot of the bitching and whining and we've really never had it better i mm-hmm. mean Amer- everyone will be like this is an outrage and getting crazy about a magazine cover getting crazy about whatever the day's outrage mm-hmm. is and i'm like we are so privileged we're so privileged we're making things up to be upset about because we don't have anything to be upset about so we have all of this mm-hmm human struggle energy that Mm -hmm. we need to expend Mm. my friend made a good point though he was like i wonder if people are just getting it out of their system and they're actually being like nicer in real life Eh, (laughs) i don't think so i don't think so. i don't know it's hard in la yeah i don't think you're we live in a if you're a nasty person on online i think you're probably just a nasty person yeah I that would be weird if you were just like a, a nasty person and then in real life you're like the nicest person. Yeah, that just wouldn't. Yeah, you're not buying it. Yeah. Well. But speaking of hating social media, I need everyone to follow. That's what I was just going <laughs> to ask you. Tell us where you can, yeah. where we, speaking of hating social media, <laughs> right. where can we find you? Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me personally at It's Brit Brit on Instagram. And then you can find my brand, which is actually more important, at dot co um and that's also the website it's hotogo.co no m if you throw an m on there it's going to be like a really cheap asian porn site so um yeah i saw you that don't one want that. <laughs> yeah, you want to go to hotogo.co mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and are you giving any promotions on your bags yes right now we have 10 percent off if you enter the promo code hoya nice h-o-y-e-a-h and where can we find do you have a Twitter? I do have a Twitter. It's Brit Brit. So the it's is actually spelled out. I know people think that's like me saying that it's just Brit Brit, but it's I-T-S-B-R-I-T-T-B-R-I-T. Great. And so thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. And it's, it's Brittany's first podcast. Yeah. Pop- which is crazy for a comedian, by the way. Pop my cherry. <laughs> it's just nuts. I'm like, how are you a comedian? I feel I'm like. not. I guess I'm not. This is actually how <laughs> Are you, you even a comedian if you've never done know, a podcast? I know. I've never been invited <laughs> on one. Everyone hates me. No, I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. I'm starting a podcast soon. So oh, good. We'll see how that goes. Fun. Well. Keep us posted and I will be driving everyone to your site on Twitter. Amazing. When I'm when it's safe for your brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I felt so bad because Brit Brit was like, I'm like, I'm gonna help you promote it. And the day that she launched, I was like, um, you probably don't want to be associated with me today. She's like, Yeah, no. That was the right call. <laughs> Good that call, Bridget. Was the right call. All right, well, find Brittany. Please send us letters, questions, and tell a friend, and we love you. Thank you for listening. It's time for the weekly check-in with Bridget and Cousin Maggie. 
Hello, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Maggie. <laughs> how how you doing? All right. I don't know. Sad, you know. It was it's so weird because Brittany and I recorded this on Friday and uh if you listen to it, you'll know we talked about the comedy store and comedy and why we've taken breaks and how dark it can be, just uh-huh. the comedy world in general. And I danced around it a little bit in the podcast, but there definitely were times, particularly once when I was in Vegas, when you do do the performance and then you go back to your hotel room and it's empty and you're like, yeah, I could kill myself. I mean, it's just so it's such a stark contrast. And there's just something so lonely about that profession. And uh-huh. you're... You're yeah. bearing your soul. But then you're alone. On stage for people to laugh at. And this town is, it, it is like you grind and, you know, part of the reason that I think I I ultimately don't grind the way that, that I shifted away from it was because of the lifestyle. And I've always said that. I just don't know if I can do the lifestyle. I don't know that it's good for me. It's right. out until two every single night at least. Right. And you're, uh, it's it's dark. It's yeah. just dark. And then literally finished recording, hit save, and my phone dinged and somebody asked me if I had heard about Brody Stevens. And Brody was just a gentle giant in the comedy world and he was a fixture and had been around for over you know two almost two decades was friends with he lived at the comedy store he knew joe rogan and like all these if you're on twitter you see all of the people with the tributes and the comedians and um he was hilarious and always so kind to me when i saw him and we knew each other and would occasionally check in i didn't know him as well as his comedy family and it does make you realize how tight knit the comedy community is but I also think as a comedian you're like yeah I it was and I wrote about this on Patreon there is this moment of you're like oh that's so tragic and then followed immediately by like I get it Uh and you and I have talked about this where Uh and I don't want anyone to be scared I'm not like suicidal this is just kind of a low (laughs) a low vibe thing always this like it's almost like there are two tracks playing uh, simultaneously. Uh-huh. And we've talked about this in relationship to David Foster Wallace, uh-huh. where it's like he did that amazing speech. Brilliant. Like the speech. Yeah, it was yeah, the, this is water. What was it? It was a it was a college whatever those Graduation things are called. Yeah. Speech or something like that. I wouldn't know. I didn't go to college. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And he did that and then killed himself like three years later. And it was so insightful and so uplifting and so understanding of the human condition. And you're like, yeah, this guy gets it. And then, yeah. I feel like people who get it that much live in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I mean, a lot. everyone's living in a lot of pain. I mean, everyone I've ever talked to about depression has experienced some form of it. Yeah, and he was bipolar Mm -hmm. and went off his meds and then went back on them and was waiting for them to kick in. And I mean, the general kind of feeling from what I've heard from comedians is like, "Eh." he lost a fight that was it almost seemed inevitable. It's tragic and so empty and sad. And I was just I cried for like two days about it, just thinking about how much pain you have to be in and 
you know, my friend and I who knew him really well, we were talking on Saturday about it. And he was saying, everyone's like, reach out, da, 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 do the thing. And he's like, no one had more support than him. He did reach out. He was constantly like periscoping about it. He was periscoping the night before he did it. Mm -hmm. And he had people checking on him constantly because he he did a whole comedy Comedy Central show about how he had he struggled with depression. He was he was always reaching out. Right. Depression is so sneaky. It's so insidious. And I was thinking about this and this is kind of what I was writing about on Patreon, too, is that the weird thing about sobriety is how in sobriety i didn't even realize that i was i've been really depressed and for pretty much like six weeks go well almost two months now Mm -hmm. starting around christmas i've been just not feeling like myself and i don't feel like i can't get out of my way i know i'm depressed when i'm writing when i'm not writing Mm -hmm. and i can't i have not been able to write at all it's been so challenging and i i know it appears i've been writing on because of Twitter for anyone who's on there. But for me, social media is like, oh, look, if I can make people laugh and present like I'm normal, then I'm okay. Right. But it's also kind of an escape Mm -hmm. and a way to hide. It's the only way for me to hide anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're taught in the program to just put one foot in front of the other and trudge the road. And so I'm like, this is me, Bridget, acting like a normal human. See how well I'm doing? And I'm not. I'm I'm drowning on the inside. And I don't I don't even know it sometimes. That's what's so I didn't really even realize it until when I heard about Brody. I was like, yeah, that's so sad. And then I get it on the heels of that. The second thought. And it's like, oh, yeah, because you've been I've been depressed. Yeah. And I haven't even been, I've just been walking through it, which is not a bad thing. Right. It's not like you've been huddled under your bed, under your covers in bed. You've been functioning, going to the gym and, but not really going to meetings. Yeah. But you have been not writing. We've been in touch and you've been like, it's not like you've been a shut in. No, I know to, as I experienced depression, um, you've been out and about. And so it's very much. It's so internalized. I think that's why I worry. And I always kind of joke about this where I'm like, I'm just going to kill myself on a whim. And again, I don't want people to worry. I'm not going to kill myself right now or today. (laughs) But if I do kill myself, you can refer back to this and be like, she said this. Oh, my God. Because I keep it so hidden from myself. I know. Well, that's depression, though, too. That is totally how depression works. I, I was severely depressed in college. And... wound up like getting suspended expelled from school basically Mm -hmm. or suspended because I stopped going to class and like couldn't do anything and stopped doing anything but I was crying for like days on end Mm -hmm. and then for I was like suicidally depressed and had no idea what was wrong with me yeah and I had no concept that maybe this is depression and I've experienced depression before I had experienced depression in high school Uh uh-huh and the weirdest thing to me was being suicidally depressed, thinking about killing myself. It was just always a thought in the back of my mind, this thought, this constant thought yeah. of what I would do and how I would do it. <laughs> yeah, you worry about me too. And I you, never... I, you worry <laughs> you worry about me in that way and I worry about you in that different way where like you never talk about it. So uh-huh. I'm like, it's totally going to be Maggie. <laughs> like, but it was, Those are the ones. It's never the people who like threaten to do it. It's the ones who either who seem totally fine about it. and you're yeah. like, what the hell? She was teaching yoga the other day. Right. Or the ones that are like, 
I guess Brody kind of goes against that grain, though, too. He talked about it. it and just, yeah, you just you never know. But like the most fucked up thing about depression is that I thought about killing myself every day for about a year and a half. And I never saw anything wrong with that. <laughs> I never thought this is strange. I probably shouldn't be thinking this way or like there's something wrong. I never thought that. I didn't yeah. experience that worry that. I was I didn't realize I was suicidally depressed. I just thought about killing myself all the time. I wonder what that is. I don't it's it's depression. It's like it clouds your judgment. Your perspective. It's, yeah, it's sneaky. It's a sneaky bastard. Yeah, it is. It's the black dog uh-huh. it just sits by your feet and you're sometimes it, I can feel it creeping. I felt it creeping in December. I was saying I feel yeah. it creeping, lapping on the shores of my consciousness. And then it's like when I'm in it, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I'm just like robot Bridget takes over. And again, I'm grateful to have that because I was, I try, I tend to beat myself up all the time. And I was like, God, I would be so bad right now if I was drinking. If I was using drugs uh, and drinking, I would be on be a dead. bender. I yeah. Pro- yeah, I might be. I might be. Uh-huh. And so I have to remember that sometimes when I'm in these places, even if I'm not writing like as much as I want to be or getting that I am an alcoholic, I'm a sober member, I'm a sober alcoholic, and sometimes just staying sober, even though I I wish that I was one of those like super type A productive people all the time, 365 days a year, I'm not. And I I struggle with mental health and depression and anxiety and and isms and right that it's enough that i'm just the fact that i'm Living. even like still going to the gym and stuff is taking is good. hope on a walk every day and that's stinking hope <laughs> and i'm always like you again with this walk and staying every sober day and cooking like you're doing a lot of cooking cooking has been the only thing i can do staying sober though i mean that's huge if you do nothing else every day that's a huge accomplishment i do jokes about that uh-huh. it makes me feel like a loser because i'm like oh i i get to pat myself on the back for not doing something every day but it's <laughs> you know it's more than a lot of people do sometimes during the day so no just- and it's it is it's a huge thing i can't underestimate it getting sober is so hard it, and as Brittany talked about in this podcast it's the hardest thing she's ever done i say it, it's the hardest thing i've ever done mm-hmm. it is the hardest thing i've ever done and i've overcome a lot of battles external in particular in my life but nothing compares to the internal battle against my self-destructive tendencies Mm -hmm. and they're still there clearly they're still alive and well that's what's so unnerving and it is weird to i feel like with knowledge you kind of start to come out of it but i still haven't been able to write i've been looking at this patreon i and this is the other thing i get freaked out and I'll just start avoiding Patreon because I get I start feeling guilty uh-huh. and I'm like, I can't go there. I don't want to see how many people left because I don't blame them for leaving. Uh-huh. And I start I just avoid it completely. I'm like, I can't look. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look. I can't bet that's depression too. Yeah. Like when I was really bad, I stopped answering my phone and I got anxiety because <laughs> I knew people were calling me, being that's like, Maggie, with, what the hell? That's me with Patreon. <laughs> and I to this day sometimes the phone will give me anxiety like the phone yeah. will, ringing will like put a thrill of fear in my stomach and I'll be like ugh. yeah yeah sometimes it does make me long and I, I know we were talking about this last week but yearning for the simple life where it's you know with when I was depressed before I would just show up and work and I had to work and it was 
And this is the other thing that I was joking about with you the other day. I'm like, these have really been the only two months of my life where I haven't had to try and figure out how I was going to make ends meet. So uh-huh. I'm like, if I've been depressed for like 20 years and I just <laughs> never knew it. It's possible. Because man. I was just like, I'm depressed, but fuck. No, because you. I mean, how am I going to survive? You've gone through the ups and downs of. You've gone through the ups and downs of, of depression. But like, you've you, definitely I haven't this been before. able to like But you there have been periods of it. time <laughs> yeah, there have been periods of time where you you write like a maniac. Your writing is actually a really good indicator for you of whether Ugh. or not you're actually depressed. Like for me, it's my kitchen. It's a really good indicator of where my mental health stays. That was one of the things that I was writing in that piece and Patreon, which is going to be up by the time this launches. <laughs> and big promises. Folks. <laughs> and I was saying, you know, now in sobriety, it's interesting, the signs, because it used to just be like, I'm drinking a lot uh-huh. or I'd get really depressed and I would be I would know that I couldn't drink. Uh-huh. So I would knock off the drinking, but that would kind of be enough. Now it's like social media. <laughs> I was looking at my analytics from February. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I was living on Twitter. <laughs> it's like the better I'm doing on social media, the more depressed I am. Like, I got 11,000 followers. It's amazing I didn't kill myself. <laughs> That is crazy. The complete Bridget's (laughs) metrics are the complete opposites of what everyone's should be. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is way too much validation. I obviously wanted to die. Um, I, I, it's heartbreak though, too. I have to remember that I have yeah. been so crushed and I don't like to admit it to myself because I like to think I'm like Rihanna or Khaleesi mm-hmm. and I'm like, I do not need these men. I will go rule the world. But there is the part of me that has to process that. Yeah, totally. And I just want it to be gone and it's just not, it's not going away as quickly as I'm, I'd like it, it to. It takes time. <sighs> You'll get there. He does not deserve that time. <laughs> I must go rule. <laughs> you need some dragons. I need dragons. Oh, but if if you're struggling, reach out. Yes, always. I feel like I need to like put the suicide hotline at the end of this check-in. We're like, ha ha, I was going to kill myself. What and is, what it's, is the suicide hotline? Tell us. If you are struggling, you know, reach out. I, a lot of people reach out to me on Twitter when they're struggling, and I'm not always available because, as you know, I'll check out for days. If you're in America, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, available 24 hours every day. On Twitter, there's the Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, and you can go to at 800-273-TALK on Twitter. There's a lot of resources out there, but, you know, reach out. And we love all of you and love hearing your stories. And yeah, sometimes it just knows it helps to know you're not the only person struggling. No, actually, everyone is struggling. Everyone's really struggling. And it's the people who aren't struggling. They're the serial killers. We (laughs) (laughs) We want to hear from you. No, it's the, it's the, everybody, everyone has their stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this podcast is yep. not liberating people from feeling like they can't talk about it. Because I was thinking about what you were saying when you were depressed the first time. Mm-hmm. There, the kids, these in high school and stuff, there's so much more of a conversation now than there was when we were kids. Oh, yeah. It was so taboo. Big time. So it has 
it is better. Yeah. But it's still, people still tell me that me, my little, my therapist's high weekly routine now, uh-huh. it's destigmatizing therapy. So I'm like, there's still a the stigma yeah, around that, therapy. It's yeah, crazy to me. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Go see a therapist. Yes, They're the best. They are the best. Okay. All right. Everybody have a good week. I'll see you. I'll see you on the tweet on the tweeter. <laughs> Love you. Pretending guys. I'm not depressed. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't see her on the Twitter, then you'll know she's she's uh, doing she's great. coming out of it. <laughs> or she's dead. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, boy. <laughs> Tune in next week for another riveting episode that will change your life. Help you get out of your own way and solve all the world's problems. I want to thank our composer, Jared Elias, my co-producer and cousin, Maggie, and all of you out there listening. This has been Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Fettesy. I'm Bridget Fettesy, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dumbest line. <laughs>